Hello, mainstreamers and cinephiles and everyone else in between. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go. Hello, welcome to Operation Silver Screen. This cinema-related operation has been created to clear our desks from stacks and stacks of open cases. What are these cases? Well, even being the film lovers that we are, Brian and I have a huge backlog of must-see films that we still need to experience. So each week we'll tackle a film that either one of us or both of us still need to see. We'll then provide a debrief of our week's mission, given our outlook on the film's popularity and significance, as well as provide our own opinion on whether or not this film is worth seeing and any other insights that we can provide. This week we'll be providing a debrief of our most recent task, and what was our most recent task, Bryant? Our most recent mission unplugged us from the system and showed us just how far the rabbit hole goes in the sci-fi phenomenon known as the Matrix from 1999, brought to us by the Wachowskis. Caitlin, what's your excuse for not having seen this film? Because I've already seen this film many a times, and you have not, you just now seen this film. So let, let's hear it. That's true. So yeah, we chose to to go over this one because this one's on my uh for shame list. Um, Brian, you said this is one of your favorite franchises ever, right? No, 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 not franchise. This is one of my favorite films. Franchise, oh. eh? We'll, we'll talk about the trilogy later and the things that came from this movie. Uh, but no, this is just my just my favorite film. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, I, to be honest, I don't really have a reason for for not having watched this. Um, I think I saw clips of it when I was younger, especially from one of the sequels. I'm not really sure which sequel it was. It might have been Reloaded, but I remember remember watching it as my mom watched it or something like that. But no, I don't. I don't really have an excuse for not watching this one at all. I think the costumes kind of always looked a little bit silly to me, and and to be honest, they kind of still do, but. It's all right, but I think, you know, it was so permeated in, you know, our culture. You see a lot of memes about it. There's been so many takes on it, spoofs of it, that I just never really, you know, felt the need to go and watch it because I kind of feel like I already had an idea of what it was, so I just wasn't wasn't in a rush to go see it. But, so I am glad that, that this gave me an opportunity to go watch it. And, and when you said it was one of your favorites, I actually was surprised by that before I watched it. Maybe a little bit still now, but we'll get into that a little bit more. But yeah, so I, but I am glad we chose to watch this one because it definitely deserved to be watched. Yeah, definitely, definitely does. And like I said, I've already seen this film and I'll go into, you know, when I saw this film, I saw this film as probably when I was six years old, whenever this came out to home video, whether that was the VHS or the DVD. This was actually one of the, actually the first rated R film my parents allowed me to watch. Wow. Yeah, I'm not really sure why this film is rated R. There's not, it, there's not too much to it. This very much could be a PG-13 movie nowadays. But yeah, that's one of the significance it had on me. Uh, of course, you know, seeing as an impressionable child, I went ahead and tried to redo the stunts and everything, go into slow motion. I actually even went as Neo for Halloween. Oh my gosh, do you have pictures? I do not have pictures. No pictures? Uh, oh, I would love to see that. My grandmother made me the costume. Of course, I was just a kid dressed up in leather with like this stick that I had, which I think was from the second movie. So everybody was asking me and I was telling them that I was I was Neo. I was the one. So this, uh, yeah, this definitely had a, had a play 
in my life. Uh, and I did rewatch this movie, of course, for the episode. But honestly, if we didn't do the episode, I would have still saw this film because it was re-released in theaters. And I found out later it was re-released in IMAX. And I got to enjoy that experience recently. I do wish it had been playing near me in IMAX because I do think that would have been a fun experience. But unfortunately, it was not. It was not playing anywhere near me. So the reason that we picked this movie uh, is because this is a movie loved by critics and audience. Uh, This has an 88% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes with an 85%. This has four Oscar wins in editing, sound, sound effect, and visual effects. It won for everything it was nominated for, which is rare. Um, It's one of the movies to win that many awards without even being won. I mean, without even being nominated for the best picture. It's just one of the two action movies I can find that was nominated and had won Oscars. The other being one of your favorite movies, Mad Max Fury Road. That is one of my favorites. This is number 16 of IMDb's top 250. And this also is the 14th top selling DVD. It's the only top selling DVD of like the the 40 top selling that's in the 90s. Uh, It's also one of the few DVDs that sold really well that wasn't a wasn't a family film per se. Wasn't a Pixar movie or anything like that. I think I was looking at this too. Did it kind of come out during that transition from VHS to DVD? I think so, because I remember my parents having the DVD and not the VHS. You know, I kind of just dated myself there. The, yeah, the DVD, it seems like the DVD era had just come in. However, this is, like I said, this is the only movie from the 90s. And the next film up in age is from 2003. And that's when it really started becoming popular, the DVDs. So it had a it had a good gap. Like it was... Yeah, it was the younger, me or the older of the films, but still did really well. So the reason that we picked this film, aside from all its accolades and just being a must-see film, being one of my favorite films, is that Matrix Resurrection is going to be coming out soon, specifically on the 22nd of December, after its delay. I believe it was supposed to come out last year. This is the fourth film in the franchise, one that people were not expecting. The the trilogy had a definitive, or what we thought was a definitive end. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I mean, I haven't seen it, obviously. I mean, this I haven't watched all of the franchise yet. I've just seen this first film. It's just this week. But even when that trailer came out, I was surprised to see it because I thought it was, it was done with. Um, and this new one coming out, it is directed just by Lana Wachowski. Lily's not, not joining her. For this one, I think Lily kind of took a step back from from filmmaking a bit for the time period. I don't I don't know if that's a permanent thing or not. But but yeah, so Lana's working on this one. But I, I was excited to see it just because I am a Keanu Reeves fan. And I think that gave me more of an incentive to watch that even, you know, before we started this podcast when I first saw that trailer. I, I was pretty set that I was going to watch this film. But, you know, the podcast, of course, gave me the extra little push. So I know I'm going to be a bit disappointed here. I'm already prepared for it, mentally and spiritually prepared. But what is your overall opinion to this? And didn't mention this before, but this is going to be a spoiler-free portion when we get to the what we consider the classified portion of our review 
and Analyst. We'll go ahead and give you guys a warning for that. So without any spoilers, Caitlin, what do you think of this movie? I don't think you need to be that disappointed. I think overall I did actually enjoy the film. I think there was things that I would have liked to see more of. And I think in some regards, it's hard to judge it as a solo film for me because I feel like there's a lot that is still left to be told for this story. Having, like I said, not seen any of the other films uh, in the franchise. So there were some things that, you know, I, I didn't fully feel like I had the whole context for. Uh, there were things in the film I wanted to see more of and I didn't get. There was a couple other uh, things in the story that it's not that it didn't work for me, but it was definitely felt like a product of its time as far as like the romance aspect to it. I think kind of came out of left field. But I liked all these characters a lot. Um, I liked the cast. I thought it was interesting. So when I was watching the trailer for the... Uh, I'm sorry, you keep saying it's Resurrection. Is that the fourth one that's coming out? Resurrections, yes. I, I don't keep, blame I you keep, for not knowing. Like, I know Reloaded's the second one. And then for some reason, I, I keep getting Resurrections and Revelations confused. But so part of the reason why I really liked the, the trailer for the new one that kind of got me hyped up, even though I hadn't seen it, was the use of that um, the Jefferson Airplane song, The White Rabbit. Is that what it's called? It's White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. I think that's the song. I really like that song. I've always really liked that song. I think if you put that song in any media, I get super hyped. And I think the use of it was really cool. But I didn't understand that that actually came from the movie itself, that that was a theme. The whole follow the white rabbit, you know, go down the rabbit hole. So, I, you know, getting that connection now, I think I have more of appreciation for that song use in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, and uh, no, I believe that is the correct name for the song, though I got to make a correction to the third film. It's not Revelations, it's Revolutions. And again, I don't Wait, so there's no Revelations? Getting- there's no Revelations in this franchise. <laughs> Yeah, as much as there is a Christianity uh, aspect to these films, there's no revelations. Though I think you just titled Matrix uh, 5, because I believe Matrix 6 is going to be Matrix Requiem. Uh, So I think Matrix 5 is probably going to be revelations. So we have this recorded now, so we're going to definitely get some royalties out of it. Oh yeah, of course. Definitely. So, okay, let me get this straight. So there's the Matrix that we just watched. There's Reloaded. I already forget the third one. Revolutions. Revolutions, not revelations. Resurrections. Resurrection, because it's being resurrected. Animatrix. And then yes. there's like three video games. There's a, I don't know how many video games there are. I know there's one video game with a linear story. There's like a, there was an MMO and now there's another Matrix an being created. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an MMO. Some online matrix online or oh. something yeah i guess that makes sense <laughs> another thing that i appreciated more after watching this film was your little teaser at the end of our, our last episode when you said what did you say that you said guns there will be guns lots of guns <laughs> yes i didn't realize that was a direct quote until i was watching it. i was like oh okay now i see where he's yeah, going yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, I like the characters in this film. I think that the themes, the sci-fi themes, didn't really stand out to me too much. I enjoyed them, 
but I don't think that let me let me rephrase this. The sci-fi themes weren't anything new. You know, we've seen a lot of sci-fi. I don't know, seen and read. I'm going to say seen and read because I'm not entirely sure of the entire history. I know we've seen more of like robots versus humans in, in films prior to this, but this kind of gave me like kind of that like Mass Effect giant machine creatures coming to to go against humanity and so we definitely have had that in literature at least and then on top of that we've definitely had literature that talked about being in a virtual reality type situation i think there was one book that i was looking at are you talking about the sim uh simul acra no but i i did read that one was one that the actors read before they read the matrix yeah simulacra and simulation was required for most of the principal cast and crew so i'm talking about the neuromancer by william gibson i don't i don't know too much about this book um, it was a trilogy. It first came out in July 1984. And the book tackles a lot of similar, it seems kind of more cyberpunk too. It talks about being in a matrix, a virtual reality data space called the Matrix. So I'm sure that the Wachowskis, you know, got some inspiration from that and other types of, of science fiction books like that. And they also borrowed a lot from more Asian related cinema and film there's definitely anime influences. There's definitely kung fu influences. And I think that really added to the whole cyberpunk feel to it because you definitely see that a lot in, in cyberpunk as a genre. And I really appreciated that. Also, the music in it was in it was really good. I think it was really memorable. The score itself had almost a, a whimsical quality to it. I don't know if that's the right right term. I don't know. How would you describe the score? Because I, I don't know if whimsical is quite the right word. I don't think whimsical is the correct term. However, I see what you're going for. Because it's kind of a, a, a lighter score in contrast to everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. It kind of brings that wonderment to it. Like you're still excited to be in this world, though you know things are not, things are still not well. But it's now you kind of have that that freedom. Yeah, I mean, it definitely still builds up and is suspenseful, but it's not exceptionally dark or overly suspenseful. It still kind of has, like you said, that sense of wonderment almost to the environment. And of course, that uh, that Rob Zombie song also stood out. <laughs> yeah, I think there was some really good musical decisions in this. I think visually. You know, seeing the visuals from a 2021 standpoint, do they hold up for me? Do they still seem pretty cool? Some of them. Uh, some of them do. Some of them still look a little dated for me. But, like, reading about some of the, the techniques that they did in order to accomplish this, I know for that slow motion bullet scene that is iconic. You've seen a lot of spoofs of it. We've seen a lot. But I know they used... I know for that slow motion bullet scene that we, that is, you know, pretty iconic for the movie, um, they used a, a time slice photography method uh, where they had multiple cameras surrounding him taking still photos all at once. And you kind of combine that to make make the, the image that we're seeing because the subject's going in slow motion, but the camera 
doesn't appear to be. And just looking at how they performed that, I was looking at some images of all the different cameras and stuff that they had going, and it's really cool. Definitely, they were ahead of their time, just in how they accomplished that, the camera work that, that went into making that and making these special effects. Definitely, I can understand why it's as influential as it was at the time in the special effects world. Uh, yes, so disappointed was the correct term I used, Caitlin. Uh, you had way too many complaints of this. No, it wasn't all complaints. Like, I feel like, you know, we have to be more critical to a degree. But, like I said, I really liked the characters. I mean, anything else aside, if I like the characters in the film, I'm probably going to like the film. Um, I thought Carrie Ann Moss, by the way, looked beautiful. Like, I've seen her in a lot of things, I feel. But I've only seen her, I mean, she's still beautiful now, but I've not seen her, you know, as this young action star. And she was killing it. She really was. And like I said, I like Keanu Reeves. Um, I know that we've had, I don't know that we've had a difference in opinion on Keanu Reeves, but I, I know you've definitely gone out and said that his acting was wooden. And I know that's a common thing with Keanu Reeves, that his acting is a little, little woman, wooden, but... I've I've liked him and everything that I've seen him in. I think it 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 is what it is. I really enjoy him. Way to way to turn the audience against <laughs> me right there. Now, but I think most people would agree to that. Keanu Reeves, I I love Keanu Reeves. I really do. He's a great actor. Uh, he's a dedicated actor. If anything, I I mean he he does a lot. He does his own stunts. Seeing him train for movies like John Wick, uh, he did a lot of you know a lot of training for this film. He did a lot of reading for this film. He is a I dedicated. I thought he also actor. had like neck surgery during pre-production on this film. Like I saw some some imi- some videos of him. I saw some videos of him training, and he had just his neck brace on. He had something with a, a disc or something, but he had he had undergone neck surgery, and I think at one point he like couldn't even complete all the kicks so that kind of sets him back on production but yeah so i definitely agree that he's a dedicated actor yeah i'm not sure if keanu reese uh sustained an injury if he did he's not the only one i mean hugo weaving also suffered an injury to his leg and then carrie ann moss uh, had had rolled her ankle and actually didn't say anything so that she wouldn't be removed oh, from the wow. film so back to your opinions on Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I mean that's that's all I have to say about Keanu Reeves. He's not the he's not the greatest he's not the greatest actor. I think he works great in this film because in this film the character is a bit dumbfounded. Not saying, you know, Keanu Reeves is a is a dumbfounded person, but his acting kinda comes off like that. It it just kinda it works in this movie, and I think also the fewer lines that Keanu Reeves has, the better. And again, that sounds awful, but John Wick 1 to John Wick 2, you can see that. The more lines you give him, he, he's great at putting out a couple, you know, a couple lines. Uh, I still really very much like the actor. And Keanu Reeves, listening to this, hey, like I said, love you. Uh, my opinion about the the whole film, like I said, Keanu Reeves works in here. Everybody works in here. I I agree. The characters are. There was great. one character that made me mouse. The mouse character. I don't know. He gave me like Pete Davidson vibes when he was like talking to him in in the ship. But then like 
he changed completely in in the Matrix itself. Like, I didn't even recognize him in, when he was in the Matrix. So at one point, like, I was watching, and I was like, wait, what happened to, what happened to Mouse? I don't remember him kicking the bucket. And then I, like, had to look back, and it's like, oh, that was him, okay. When you strap on that much leather, your personality <laughs> yeah, changes. So. <laughs> it does. It, you, you can't help it. Yeah, I read that um, the character Switch was actually supposed to be presented as a a male outside of the Matrix and then going into the Matrix be female presenting, which I thought, you know, it, it is a time. I mean, we, we look back on this now and uh, Lily Wachowski definitely has said that this is a trans trans allegory, but, you know... I kind of wish we had gotten to see a little bit more of, you know, the Matrix version versus the real life version, like what their ideal self image that they talked about is. I, I think I would have liked to see a little bit more difference between the characters in that other than just Mouse, because I feel like Mouse was the only one that I saw too drastic a difference other than, of course, the glasses on everyone, which I might need you to explain the glasses for me now or maybe in our spoiler section if that's i don't know if that's spoiler territory or not but i might want to i want to hear your opinion on on the glasses yeah no i'll save that for the spoiler portion but i i love this film like i said already it's one of my favorites it's when i was originally thinking about my favorite films a while ago i considered this to be you know my number one favorite of course you know it's not but it's still it's still high up there for me Explain the significance it had on my life. This is also one of the films that every time I watch it, I always find a new scene to enjoy until the next time that I watched uh, watch it. Like the the opening is one of my all time favorite openings. I love the the scene you know with Trinity. You now thinking about this film, I wish I could know what it was like to when I first experienced this. You're not really sure what's going on. You think this may just be an action movie. But then, you know, you see this, you know, you see just a female and all leather for some reason. And there's all these guards around him. And Hugo Weaving comes in and says, your men are already dead. You know, transitions and you see her just kick the crap out of everyone even to the point that the camera freezes and turns around. They're then running through the rooftops. You see that some of them kind of have these superhuman abilities. But yet she's really scared of this one particular person. So it kind of sets up that that unkillable antagonists almost like the like the terminator and then you see her disappear through a phone now it's, it's a great opening sequence i love hugo weaving in it in this uh his speech his interrogation monologue to morpheus is one of the things that i appreciated more this time around he's talking about the scent of the the, the real world quotations you know talking about the matrix yeah, actually, Hugo Weaving, you know, you didn't say much about him, but I like to say that he's, you know, this this character is just one of the greatest villains out there. And every time he speaks, it's kind of like Morgan Freeman, how everybody wants Morgan Freeman to read them a bedtime story. You like Hugo Weaving to read you a bedtime story? No, because that'd be <laughs> horrifying. But at the same time, if Hugo Weaving was just to sit there and just completely roast me, just completely like just destroy me, I would be hurt. But at the same time, I would just be enjoying every second of it. <laughs> Every enunciation that comes from him, I'll just be like, man, you're really tearing down there. It's like, it'll be amazing. Uh, this also just has some of my favorite movie fight scenes. Uh, the fight scene between Hugo Weaving and Neo. 
is one of my all-time favorite movie fight scenes, you know, maybe even to the point of, I can't really say anime. Anime is on a totally different level, but this is one of my favorite fight scenes that I do come back to and I watch just for, for that train sequence. I feel like the train sequence we'll come back to in the spoiler section because I was actually a little surprised by a part of that. We'll come back okay. to that. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what you say about that. Like I said, it has a great soundtrack. Uh, yeah, Rob Zombie, Rage Against the Machines. The score, by the way, was done by uh, Don Davis. Um, he also did the score for Jurassic Park 3. Oh, nice. Nice. I wouldn't be surprised if you said he also did the, the score for... Oh, no, you said the score. I was thinking the soundtrack. Because uh, the soundtrack reminds me a lot. And some of this movie reminds me of Blade. And I was kind of wondering, because Blade did come out before, I was wondering if Blade did influence this movie. However, it did not. Uh, they actually finished up wrapping up their production the same month. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I only have one fault for this film. Only one fault. Uh, and that's what you mentioned with the romance, which I was going to... We can save more for the spoiler discussion. You know, who the romance is between. And yeah, I do feel the romance was a, a bit rushed. I'm not going to say it wasn't needed, because I think it could have been included. But if they did a different type of writing for it, I think it could have worked. It could have worked better. That's my only fault for the film. However, it's not enough to not make me enjoy this film at all. So we we already kind of spoke a little bit about it, the influence that this had. And I'm not just talking about the influence that it had on me as an impressionable child, jumping down the stairs and trying to freeze, jump and all that. I'm talking about the influence that it had on pop culture, even all the way to today. You know, we're getting a, can't really say a long-awaited sequel because... A lot of people weren't waiting for that sequel. It's, it's it's interesting how much influence this film had and how much love it has for the two sequels to come after it, not be a uh, you know, not be as well received. Uh, one of the things that you talked about already is the bullet time. This movie is very famous for the bullet time, which I believe is trademarked by Warner Brothers, like that term bullet time, because it's not just slow motion; it's the the freezing. And the whipping around with the cameras and the bullets being shot and, and more of stop motion than slow motion mm-hmm. or just a still no motion. I don't know if that's the thing. I'm going to trademark that. No motion. No motion. <laughs> no motion. Uh, this And it's something that has been good and bad for film. One of my pet peeves in film is misuse of slow motion. And I think every time this movie uses slow motion and uses that uh, that bullet time is for the greater effect of emphasizing something that you're not going to be able to capture at that moment with your with your own eyes, rather than just making a slow motion because it looks cool. Is to slow it down so that you can greater appreciate it. How did you How did you feel about the bullet time in this? Because you saw this when. You know, you just saw this movie, so you are experienced slow motion and bullet time again and again and again. So for that one scene in particular that I was talking about earlier with time slice photography, when he's kind of dodging the bullets in slow motion, I mean, I expected to see that. We've seen so many spoofs. I think The Simpsons have even done it. I think video games have done it. Several movies have done it. And a lot in parody. I actually heard that they kind of moved away from that particular type of filming and kind of went on to other slow motion techniques in later films just because it was getting so spoofed. But for the film as a whole, I was actually really impressed by 
you know, you talk about slow motion, but there was also times where things were just going hyper fast. Um, there was a lot of quick shots, a lot of just quick camera movements. So I think that, along with the slow motion together, really just created this really unique pacing that was to the film and really kind of gave it that of a worldly quality. Like if it was just slow motion, that's one thing. But the fact that they were consistently playing with what your perspective of time was as an audience, I really enjoyed. But I thought that was really smart. Yes. Yes. And like you said, this has been heavily parody. Yeah, The Simpsons did do it. I just watched a video on YouTube. It was like 11 films that had parodied this. Uh, Shrek, the original Shrek, had parodied this at one point with oh, the yeah, stopping. The and, she, and the animals or something. Yeah, the, the Robin Hood gang. And the there's another big parody, Scary Movie, which was like the first of that franchise of movies. They had parodied this with Scream, where he bends his back and he can't get back up. Uh, so sometimes it's good. Sometimes, yeah, it has gotten to that point where it's been overused and it's like, all right, you know, we get it. On to the, the next joke. So speaking of the fight scenes, and you said that you like the fight scenes, the fast motion, the slow motion, this kind of popularized fist fighting, uh, hand-to-hand combat in action movies. In the West? In the West, yes. In the West. Because they actually, it not only popularized fight scenes, but also popularized and had an influence upbringing Asian martial artists to Western films to help them choreograph their fighting. Because, of course, uh, over in Asia, a- uh, Asian filmmaking and everything, they were already using this a lot. Their their choreograph was already way beyond Westerns when it came to hand-to-hand combat. The martial artist that was brought here was uh, Wu-Ping Yen, uh, who actually tried to refuse this movie. He made a... He he liked the script, but he for some reason he didn't want to do the film. So he told the Wachowskis like he made some crazy number up for them to pay him, and of course they said no. And then he gave him another impossible task, which was, all right, yeah, sure, I can do this film, but if I do it, I want to train with your actors for four months prior to the filming. Hmm. And they were like, yeah, you can you can do that. He's like, oh, well, crap. All right, I guess I'll do it. So people start realizing Hollywood start realizing, oh, we can bring these martial artists over here. You know, not just have them in the film, but have them actually train our our actors and our cast. So I was looking it up prior to this uh, films in the 90s and the 80s, especially in the 80s, looking at the action movies. The action movies included a lot of gunfights. It's no surprise that Western films, American films, you know, love their guns. <laughs> and it was all about big explosions. And yes, this movie has guns. Lots of guns. But for them to throw down those guns to have that, you know, that mano y mano fist fight at the end, this movie really popularized that. Yeah, and I think like just watching the behind the scenes videos and how much the cast put into that training and just the physical requirements of the film, it, it was amazing to see. It looked really tiring. <laughs> like, you know, you see a lot of these films that they're just... I mean, obviously with Marvel films now, there is a lot of training that our actors go through to prepare for their roles. But you still do have stunt doubles for a lot of things in modern action movies. But I mean, I'm not saying they just didn't have stunt doubles. I'm sure there were. But there also seemed to be a lot that they were doing themselves. A lot of of physical. There was a large physical toll, it seemed, on this film for our actors. Yeah, I think that also goes into that 
when these actors took a hit, it looked like they actually took a hit. It's not like they got thrown through something, they got thrown against a wall or through a window, and they kind of just shrug it off and, you know, scrape off the glass and they're back at it again. You know, in a lot of the big blockbusters that we see now, that's exactly what happens. And I feel that kind of, that's another, not really a pet peeve, that's a thing that I don't like so much in those blockbuster films because I feel like it takes me out because there's no, there's no risk now to your, to your protagonist. You're like, all right, whatever happens, this dude can have a building fall on them and they're going to be completely fine. I think they even did that with the character Neo made him, you know, there's a lot of times that he failed. So when he actually, you know, rises up to the occasion, he's, you know, it's a more impactful moment. And you had talked about the the glasses, we talked about the leather, we talked about the music. From, you know, after this film, that fashion and music uh, became kind of a big thing, especially in action movies. Uh, movies like Equilibrium, I'm trying to think of some other ones that were kind of forgettable, but they all had like this tight leather on, they would go into this building, and they would just start going and shooting, slashing people down. But you said that the fashion to you was a little bit, a little bit off. I think it was uh, trench coats, actually. Yeah, they just kind of look silly to me. They just don't. I'm not a big fan of the long coat look. I think I'm just yeah. I think I'm just anti trench coat actually. Like unless you're a detective in a noir film, you don't need to be wearing a trench coat. I don't want to go into that far- further. I feel like something happened in your life with a trench coat and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, mean, I mean, but the glasses too. I mean, you look at it. The glasses, they're a little silly too. You got to admit it. That whole like 90s runner glasses look. I mean, they're a little silly. But, you know, Kirian Moss, she rocked it. I mean, Keanu Reeves look good too. They both look they look good. Just take that trench coat off, my boy. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and it's actually interestingly with the trench coats they thought this fashion was going to have more of an impact. And it's hard to say what was the reason that it didn't have more of an impact. But one of the reasons they believe that it didn't continue forward so much is because of the uh, the Columbine shooting. Because uh, oh, that was the, the wear that they were making. And they were actually trying to use Matrix as a scapegoat, of course. You know, saying that this movie and its uh, its impact was to blame for the shooting. Which it wasn't, of course. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that part of it. And I'll go ahead and just tell you about the glasses right now. It's not too spoilery. Uh, the glasses, they just look cool. <laughs> that was that's it. it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I don't know. I think there has to be something more to it than that. It is interesting, though, symbolic. like seeing, like having played Cyberpunk 2077 this year and like the fashion in that versus the kind of Cyberpunk fashion. In this film, it's very different. You know, I think when I think traditionally more kind of cyberpunk, that kind of, would it be postmodern punk? I don't know. But that kind of vibe, you think a little bit more like neons, a little bit more, I think a little bit more color mixed in with the blacks and the, the, with the black leather, a little bit more loud. I don't think that their costumes were loud per se. They were just sleek. Yeah, interesting you say that because during this time, it actually made a lot of sense for Cyberpunk seeing where it had its influences from, uh, which makes sense because I don't want to call you out, but you haven't, we, we already know you haven't seen these films, uh, which is Blade Runner, Akira. I'm not sure if you ever seen Ghost in the Shell. Like the anime or a movie? Uh, 
Both? I've seen some of the anime. I've not seen the movie. Yeah, I tried watching the anime. I couldn't get into it, and I've been meaning to watch the movie. I'm not sure where the neon came in for Cyberpunk, because I know Cyberpunk 2770, yeah, it is It is much brighter. But those movies, Blade Runner and Akira and Ghost in the Shell, they had this real gritty look. Uh, there were well, a Akira lot of dark still colors. Had color, though. It had color. It's, it's kind of like Blade Runner. Blade Runner has color, but the color is in the advertisement and some of the technology. But the world itself is kind of like a juxtaposition with it, with that color towards the the actual world. It was very much dark. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I mean, Cyberpunk 27-7, it, it definitely, and a lot of Cyberpunk stems from, like, tabletop RPGs. Um, so it might have some kind of root there. I'm not sure. But, I, I mean, it's always been part of, like, a, a counterculture, you know, going against the mold. So I think it makes sense to have those the kind of vibrancy in there. And this movie actually does play with color. Uh, everything a lot of within, green. <laughs> the color yeah, a green. green. A lot of plays a lot of the color green. <laughs> well, there's two important colors. There's green, of course, and there's also blue. So while they're in the real world, yeah, it has a blue tint. When they're in the Matrix, it has a green tint because it's like you're looking through a monitor. The only other color tint they use is the one that's in between worlds. And that's when Keanu Reeves uh, or Neo and Morpheus are fighting each other. That's when it has a yellow tint mm. to it in between. Speaking of monitors, that was another. I don't. I won't say this is a complaint, but it's funny watching this now and looking at like the interfaces of this old, not old school, this futuristic technology and how old school it looks. It took me out a little bit. <laughs> like, this is what computers look like in the future. <laughs> we devolved. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of makes sense because they would have had to scrap together everything. And I think that is what they, I mean, all their technology, you know, the, the extraction machine for the tracker, the the one weapon you see in the real world, it all has this scrap together look to it because they are scavengers at this point. So I think that may have been intentional, but at the same time, before the future became sleek, like in the 90s and 80s, a lot of time in the future, it had this, or like the dystopian look to it. Well, I think um, at some point, you know, I think our parents, maybe even a little bit before our parents, you know, the vision of the future and when you're looking at futuristic media it was, you know, all shiny, the Jetsons, you know, you have this ideal version of the future. And then at some point in time, the way that we viewed the future changed. And then that's when you started seeing a lot more of these dystopian films, these, these like bleak, bleak futures. Um, and I definitely think The Matrix presents a pretty bleak future. But yeah, at some point in media that, that just switched the whole, the whole change in how we view our future and I and I was talking to someone recently and just how I viewed our future definitely was more negative than than what they did so it is interesting to think about you know when exactly that switch in our public consciousness occurred and I think even now it's it's probably gotten even worse with with um climate change and and everything else that's that's going on in our um, current society with, with the coronavirus, with all of this stuff, just how our, our view on the future changes over time. Yeah, and I think it's probably because, I mean, things were starting to go a little bit dark in the 80s, 
I believe this movie was also influenced by comics and Marvel comics. Well, they were comic writers. Oh, yeah. Then, uh, yeah. I mean, in the 80s, too, comics became darker. Probably the one, you know, the flagship was Frank Miller in his Daredevil series. Uh, they did become not as, as fun and campy anymore. And maybe it's because, you know, the 60s and 70s were all about love and peace and LSD. No more love. No more peace. <laughs> yeah, just dark. Keep the LSD, but none of it ever stuff. <laughs> Take the LSD. Don't work on entertainment projects. That's what they said. Yeah. Oh, and then you spoke about the, you know, the philosophy of this film. You said that it wasn't too big. You said that you kind of wanted them to explore more. I think for this film, you know, it's, I, I think it says enough. It's, it, it is a bit smaller in scope. They could have gone into it more, but they give you enough to want to go ahead and talk amongst people about the film and ask the question, are we in the Matrix? And maybe it's because the second and third film don't hold up that I and many other people may say like, no, the first is enough. We got enough. Maybe some denial there. After you see the second and third, you're like, ah, the first one. Yeah, that's good. That's all we needed. Yeah, I'll still recommend. I mean, I like, you know, I've been talking kind of, I don't want to say trash about the whole trilogy, but not great about it. Uh, The second one I do like from what I can remember. I do like the action scenes in the second, even though they make the mistake of Sequoia is trying to go bigger and they use CGI, which is a downfall, especially in one big fight scene. Uh, But it still has one of the, what people agree is like one of the best car chases in the second one. The third one goes way somewhere else. And then with like this superhero fight, which is cool, but doesn't make a lot of a lot of sense. But this this also kind of had a influence in philosophy coming to sci-fi films. You know, sci-fi films were are still very much influenced by the current age that they're in. You know, you have uh, certain sci-fi movies, I believe, like World on a Wire, kind of getting affected by the 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 Red Scare. You know, is technology coming after us? Right now, we have the big, hey, is AI going to go ahead and turn against us, or can it be used to to help us? Or actually, I think we're even starting to go more into the VR world and how, the, yeah, the metaverse. <laughs> yes. So I think this in. I mean, for an action film, this this does have a lot to a lot to say. I mean, I think you know before it's a sci-fi film, I think it is a an action movie. How did you feel about the whole? Well, you said you know it, it could have said more, but do you think it said enough to spark your interest? So when I said I had wanted more, I think what I had actually meant by that was that. I had wanted to see more actually in The Matrix. I don't think we really spent a lot of time there. You know, I wanted to see a little bit more of his life and his memories because, you know, I think when presented with the red or blue pill choice, you know, obviously you know what he's going to pick. You know, I thought it would be a little bit more interesting to kind of go into why. I mean, obviously I know why they would choose the the red pill. The red pill is to stay in the Matrix? Or is it the blue pill? Blue pill is to stay in the Matrix. The blue pill. I wanted to see a little bit more of what would make it difficult to choose that red or blue pill. And I think we do see that with another character that we'll talk about um, a little bit in our spoiler section. 
But for Neo personally, I, I just kind of wanted to see a little bit more of his life in the Matrix. And kind of just like what, you know, the normal life looks like there. I don't know. This is going to sound, you know, this is not a fair, <laughs> this is not a fair comparison to this movie. Let me preface this. But you know, like, how when you're watching the Lego movie, you kind of get to see what their daily lives are like in the Lego movie, in their Lego Matrix of a society. That's kind of what I wanted to see in the Matrix. Not entirely. I don't need, you know, someone to start singing. I don't need everyone to say to be awesome. But I just wanted to see a little bit more of the, more of the day today. But as for the philosophy, uh, I've watched a lot of sci-fi shows to where I might be locking a little bit in the cyberpunk genre for movies. I, I, I have seen my fair share of sci-fi shows, um, and I think I'm pretty... I'm not the best read in sci-fi, but I at least have awareness of the genre out there in the literature world, too. So there's definitely no need to be afraid in, in putting philosophical themes out there in sci-fi media. I think, for me, it did play it a little safe. There might be things I'm not fully understanding that I might catch more on a second watch. And there are things that I did like, like I said, as far as, you know, examining choice, examining self-identity. There were things I liked, but I would have liked to see a little bit more. But I think for an action film that it did do more than what others were doing at the time. Yeah, two things. One, the Lego movie actually is a great comparison. There's, I've already seen it. There's a YouTube video that compares Matrix and the Lego movie. They're pretty much the same movie, actually. <laughs> they really are. I'm like, it's not a fair comparison to Matrix, but also it is the Matrix. I'll have to sing in the video. I don't want to go everything the, the video can go over, and I encourage anyone else to go ahead and find that video as well. Unfortunately, I don't have the title, but you can just search it with uh, with those words there. Also, the trope that you have the female character who is absolutely amazing at everything she does, and then some nobody boy comes in and saves the day, and it's the chosen one. <laughs> yeah, the one, which the one. Neo, spoiler, uh, is, I forget what it is called when you rearrange letters, but his name is One. Is that a spoiler? <laughs> An anagram? Anagram, right? Anagram, yes. Yeah. Anagram. The other thing when you say that it played it safe, I think the movie did play it kind of safe. Like I said, it's an action sci-fi film that Warner Brothers is, is made by Warner Brothers. They, you know, they're going for a mainstream audience. One of the things that they did go ahead and simplify when you really think about uh, when they actually look at the science to it doesn't make too much sense, which is that the humans were being used for batteries. Uh, the original, you know, which is why they call them Copper Top, the original plan for the movie was that they were using humans as processors because their brains were able to take in information, reroute, and all, it basically do anything a computer, a computer processor can do. However, because computers were not that popular yet, this being only 1999, and I mean even today, not too many people would understand processors. So they were like, let's just go ahead and call them batteries. I think they would today. For a minute, though, I was almost like, is this anti-solar power <laughs> message in this film? <laughs> yeah, when you think about it, there's other ways to create electricity. They, Yeah, they blocked out the sun. So because that's how the machines were first getting their power was solar power. So they blocked out the sun so that they couldn't get solar power anymore. But you still have other ways to create energy. I mean, water still exists. Unless the humans like... Nuclear. <laughs> yeah, there's fossil fuels 
still, well, it was probably, it's finite, so that was probably out by this time. So speaking about the mainstream audience, who would you recommend this movie to? The mainstream audience or the cinephiles or both? Um, I mean, I think this movie was made for a mainstream audience. You know, that was its target, and I think it succeeded at that. I think it didn't play things safe, though. I don't think it, it dumped, like you said, I think that some things are simplified, but I think it also just the amount of care that, that went into this film, I don't think that they were just doing something simple or half-assed to, to fit um, a mainstream audience, though. I think, you know, it, it treated its audience with care. But yes, yeah, so I would say that mainstream is, is still good, but I think also just for, you know, just because it has had such an impact as far as the visuals go. And like, I'm just still amazed by the camera work and the stunt work and just everything that went into it, I think is something that if not cinephiles, then aspiring filmmakers and people in this industry should be looking at and seeing how that they accomplish these things. No, I agree with you there. It's, it was made for general audience. General audience will enjoy it for the for the action uh for you know even the the thoughts that it provokes it hits all ranges you can have a simple conversation to you can have an in-depth conversation about the matrix and then you know for the cinephiles the cinematic techniques they had are to be admired as well especially for its time just seeing how a movie of this time did and then you look at other films that were made around this time and saw like how they were able to do things better because they used different techniques. It's something that can be enjoyed by everybody. So everyone, now we're going to go ahead and bring over the classified folder. Before we open it up, we just want to let you know that this does contain spoilers. So if you're one of the people who have shame, just as Caitlin had not too long ago, and have not seen this movie for some reason, go ahead now. You know, either proceed with caution or I recommend highly to stop listening. Go watch the film. And then come back and listen to the the podcast continuing. I feel like I'm in Game of Thrones, you know, when Cersei Lannister was walking through the streets of King's Landing and they were just shame, shame. The <laughs> no, shame bell. Shame. <laughs> That's me we right should now. Get a shame bell. <laughs> That's me this whole episode. <laughs> should open up with that bell. <laughs> shame. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's a rough time. It's a rough time for me. Yeah, well, I have mine coming up <laughs> at some point, I believe. Some point. So now, having seen this film, do you agree with the critics? So, I mean, you you heard everything the critics had to say before this film. That's why this film was on your shame list. Do you agree with them? Do you agree this is that must-see film? You know, I'm a little torn. I think there were things that worked and didn't work in the film for me. But I think in order to give a really fair assessment of that question, you know, to give it my due diligence, I do need to go see the other films because I feel like there's a lot of context that I'm not really getting. The whole concept of the one kind of confused me, to be honest, in the film. And I was kind of looking to see how they approached that later on because I feel like there was stuff that was left unsaid uh, with that concept, with the concept of the one. Yeah, so with the one... Uh, it kind of goes into the Christianity aspect of this. It goes into, you know, he is the Messiah. And I mean, he does technically die in this film. And then he's, you know, he's resurrected. But I almost feel like I missed something, though, in one of his conversations earlier on. So the one was supposed to be able to change 
the environment at will? Is that what the one was supposed to... Like, I didn't really understand what the purpose of the one is. Where they got this whole idea of the one. Yeah, so the one... Think about it like this. Think of it as the master builder in the Lego movies. (laughs) Yeah, he's the one who could not only go past the Matrix, but can go past basically his own mind that any human mind can go and yeah be able to change the environment and his self and he would be the one to go ahead and lead the other people you know in the real world to salvation and did this come from some kind of prophecy it came from the oracle uh she told morpheus that he would be the one to find the one so yeah, it's sort of a yeah, sort of a prophecy. Okay. But that doesn't even tell me where it originated though. Like I'm still just confused where this whole concept of the one originated. Because he was talking about like there was a man who could change things at the beginning and he's the one who initially got uh or uh Morpheus out. But then it kinda just kinda devolved from there. So I didn't really understand was it something that originated from him, from the original guy who got Morpheus out of the Matrix? Did it originate, you know, somewhere in the code? Like, that's what I, I didn't fully understand. No, honestly, from this film, I believe it is explained in the other films, that it just it came from the Oracle, that there is just this prophecy out there that the one will lead them to salvation. Oh, that's kind of lame. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I thought maybe there was, like, something, like, hidden in the code of the Matrix or something like that. I don't know. I guess we'll find out more in later films. Yeah. And, I mean, that's kind of the, it's kind of a double-edged sword because as they go more into it, it kind of backfires. They get a little too convoluted with it, which is why I think this movie kind of balances it just just enough. But I, I agree with the critics on this one. I think it is a must-see film, like we said, for the reasons that I would recommend it to general audience and cinephiles. Yeah, I think this, you know, I think this deserves all the accolades that it has gotten. And yeah, it may have some things that kind of, you know, make it a product of its time, but for the most part, uh, it does well. And speaking of, of the time, well, to go into why this was significant for its time, like we already said, it's an action movie with an abstract plot. You know, not a lot of action movies had that. It was very straightforward. You have your protagonist, and then you have your antagonist. Antagonist is doing something, you know, doing something dirty, is a terrorist, whatever. Protagonist needs to go in and drop them. That's it. So this came in with that more, more of a plot to like, hey, now we got this whole Matrix thing going on. It's an action movie with... Uh, well choreographed fights, which again weren't something you saw back in the eighties and nineties. Uh, aside from like I think Blade, I watched one of the fight scenes, the ending fight scene from Blade today as well, because I wanted to make a comparison. And I'll say, yeah, there's still a different difference there. I think this movie, yeah, it's it, it's choreographed better, more believable. The punches actually look like they're being you know hit. Uh, it's a little, it's it's a bit more grounded. Uh, speaking of the the action scenes. The action scenes in here, you said that you wanted to go back to that train scene. How did you feel about that? Yeah, so it, it kind of went against my expectation because, you know, he was holding him in front of a train. I thought he was going to go through the train. Like, I thought that he was going to use his, his master builder powers to just, you know, well, this train doesn't exist, so I can just go through it. Like, it's not going to hit me. It's just going to go right through me. 
that's what I thought was going to happen. But then he just kind of jumped out and it's like, oh, whatever, I guess that's not how it works. <laughs> like, I think it came back to that moment later on, like, when the bullets didn't really exist. Like, I think it came back to that concept after the point, but I thought that was going to be the big moment. It kind of built up to that being the big moment and then it really wasn't. So it definitely subverted my expectations there. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know what my original thoughts uh, were when I saw that. I mean, I was a kid. I probably thought like, oh, snap, they're about to get hit by this train. And he jumps up and smashes them. I love how also Hugo Weaving then just comes out of the train as another person. That's where you're <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's just time to run. Like, you're you're not the one just yet. Another scene I really liked was... Another scene I really liked was just at the beginning in the office building when he gets a call from the Morpheus. I'm saying his name, right? Wait. Yeah, Morpheus. Okay. I keep thinking, in my head, I keep thinking Mobius. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not right. He is not the living vampire. Like, I just want to make sure I don't accidentally say Mobius. And I'm like, because this Morpheus is much better, in my opinion. <laughs> he doesn't deserve that. But yeah, so when he gets a call from Morpheus in his office building and he and the suits are coming in to come and get him and he's like, Okay, you have to do exactly what I say. Crouch down, go now, go to this cubicle now, cross the way, hurry up and run to this door. Like I love that scene just because it felt so video game esque <laughs> to me. It just was so fun. I'm like, Oh, I'm, we're playing a stealth video game right now. This is really cool. <laughs> that was actually probably one of my favorite scenes, and it's just a simple scene. But I don't know. I had fun with it. I thought that was a fun moment. And then no, no, for, for nothing, and then he goes out onto the window and just kind of chickens out and gets caught anyways. That's actually the scene following is a scene that horrified me for a bit. His mouth closing and then also the, the thing going into the belly button. Yeah, that was gross. <laughs> that was – and I think that's another – I think that's something that – you know, it still holds up. It's still still kind of gruesome in a way. It's probably why I got the rated R. They're probably like, man, this isn't really that bloody, but I don't feel well, so rated R. <laughs> but that's one of the, the, the few things that holds up in this film that I believe holds up in this film. How do you think this film holds up, especially now watching it for the first time? I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think that scene that you're talking about, it kind of, that scene and others, it kind of had like a Men in Black-esque kind of vibe to it but like obviously more serious than men in black was and i and i love men in black but that's something that i thought of when i was watching it as well i think that's also well no the glasses the glasses are also men in black-esque to me <laughs> but it definitely has elements of things that you know that i really would have enjoyed watching it back then when i was watching movies like that for the first time and, and i kind of wish that i did have the opportunity to watch it when it came out because you know then i wouldn't have been as spoiled with oh this is all a virtual reality situation like i would have liked to have experienced that you know real time you know having that surprise element to it because it, it is fascinating so i wonder you know if kind of my views on it are different than what they would have been in that scenario but for the visual elements to it I think there are some that, that definitely do still hold up, but there are also some that look a little, a little cheesy. I mean, but it feels video game-esque. It feels... I think it not being like what we would consider a visual masterpiece in today's standards is, is okay. Because it still kind of gives that dreamlike quality. You know, it's okay, but it doesn't look completely quote-unquote real. 
even if it does have a little bit more of that, I would say, cartoony element to it, it still fits in that scenario in that world. And I agree with I agree with that. I think, yeah, it's a little bit harder if this is your first time watching it because you kind of are spoiled to a lot of other movies that have done this. Uh, I think, though, yeah, visually, it still, it still holds up. Um, it's mostly practical effects, you know, mixed in with the special effects, and you know, they, they do well. You can probably see like some mishaps here, especially if you're like me, you've seen it a couple times. Uh, you can probably, you know, find a, a, you know, a goof here and there. But I think just because this was especially choreographed uh, well, this is something that can be enjoyed without noticing the age. And a, a great practical effect that I want to mention is the the building scene. When they go in, when they have all their guns and they start just busting up the pillars and everything, which actually cost them... Keanu Reeves ended up costing them a couple million dollars because while they were shooting, there was a mishap and he slipped. Oh, no. Yeah, and the squibs already started going off, so they had to repair everything and go through it again. Oh, but, no. Yeah, that means it was only they only did the squibs twice, which is pretty good uh, for what they have for the final project of it, for final product. I think the, I mean, even that, that building, I think that building scene is great and it holds up. I mean, that was one of my... One of my action movie influences for getting the the, the tattoo symbol for action movies that I have uh, is the the burning buildings because you have Die Hard, Raid, Dread. Do you want to explain what your your tattoo is? Yeah, so my tattoo is a film strip, and on the film strip it has symbols for all the main uh, main genres of film, along with two things representing music and writing, which are a big portion to film. So for my action movie. I got a burning building. Cause like I was saying, uh, yeah, this movie, you have a movie like Die Hard, uh, Dread, Raid, kind of a lot of this going into a building, going into a skyscraper and having to fight your way up to the top or in this blow your way up to the top, you know, to where they're fighting on the rooftop. The, the way the helicopter crashes into the, uh, to the skyscraper, especially seeing the IMAX is still something to behold. The way the, the windows move. In a wave, and then they go ahead and start breaking. I'm not sure if that's really what happens when a helicopter crashes, but it looks super cool. <laughs> so, what's your what's your overall rating for this film? You no, know, with spoilers and all, or spoilers added. Um, I did enjoy this film. Like I said, I enjoy the characters, and that that is automatically going to be a bump up to me. I think the main things holding it down is just the whole issue with the one. Like I said, it was a little a little confusing. I, I kind of got tired of hearing about it, too. Because I kept saying, oh, you're the one and not the one. And is, is he the one? Is, is he the one? Could he be the one? I think he is the one. Like, there was a lot of that throughout the film. And I just kind of got a little tired of it. And and like I said before, also just that, that kind of romance angle that kind of went out of left field. Because there wasn't really any chemistry between Trinity and um, Neo, to me, to kind of build up to that. Um even though I did like them both individually as characters. Um, I think another thing I really liked in film, I really did like the Cypher character, actually, just because I felt that he felt more like a realistic character. I mean, despite the whole, like, incel angle, I, I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like that at all, but I liked the, um, you know, I think that it's a choice that people would struggle with. You know, I found myself thinking, what would I choose? You know, if I woke up and found out my whole life was a simulation, what would I do? 
I mean, you'd like to think that you would, you know, choose not to just stay in it, but, you know, I think I have a pretty okay life, you know, and and leaving that behind for, you know, all this suffering. I think it, it, his motivations in that sense do made sense. And I think that's, you know, that is probably the thing I like probably the most about the film is that it did make me question that, apart from, like I said, the characters. So I think I would give it maybe a B plus. I don't think it's going to be one of my favorite action movies of all time, but I did like it. And I think that based off this single movie alone, I see a lot of potential for it as a franchise. It might go down once I watch the other films. And because I know you said that you were kind of disappointed from the other films. So my initial rating of this film might go down after seeing this. But we will see. <laughs> because, like I said, a lot of it that I liked about it was the potential. And that these things that were raised that I want to see in the other films. So if those don't address that, it might go down a little bit more. Maybe, I think that maybe at some point we need to have, like, another... Maybe if we end up doing, like, a season kind of um, wrap-up at some point where we can go back to see, like, if our initial ratings of these films stayed the same or if they change after some later thought but for now i think i'm I'm good with b plus yeah yeah no i agree i think we should go back and and look at these ratings and as far as my rating it is going to be different than yours we can already tell however i don't think it's going to be too different or at least it's not going to be i think you can you can understand my rating so it's not gonna i don't think it's really going to start an argument between us or some controversy because i kind of i I understand your rating. I can respect your rating. No, thanks. <laughs> I'm a bit offended in a way, but no, I can I can understand your rating. There's not there's nothing I can really argue too much with that aside from saying it's better than you thought, you know, type deal. For me, this is uh I know we're already we're only two episodes into this podcast, but this is going to be my first S rating film. S rating meaning that not only is do I consider this to be an a A scoring film, but it also it has my personal my personal love attached to it, and that's why I'll go ahead and I'll put this in the S tier of the movies that I've I've seen. I think this is a great film, and it's a film that I love. I can watch this again and again. Now, my question for you though is how much of that is nostalgia. Not much. Really? Because honestly, I don't consider myself a nostalgic person. I'll I'll clearly I'll I'll go back and call something out if I don't believe it. Uh that's one of the reasons it's one of the problems I have with my own generation when it comes to the the 90s babies. In fact that we refer to ourselves as the 90s babies. Yeah, well you and I are both 90s babies. Yeah, we you know we're very proud of a lot of the shows that we had growing up, a lot of the movies. I'll go back and I'll call a lot of those out. They were not as great as we thought them to be. I would argue, though, that the 80s babies are just as bad. They just don't call themselves 80s babies. There are a lot of movies in that era that are just super loved, super hyped by that 80s generation. But I just don't really understand or get because, you know, I'm not from that era. I don't, I don't really have any nostalgic ties to it. But I definitely do agree that 90s babies are, are really bad at that, too. It does make me wonder, though, like, are the 2000s babies or whatever they're called, are they going to be the same way when they get older? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, like, what they have to attach 
one? Because I feel like a lot of two thousand babies try to get with the with the nineties. That's true. Because the nineties does kind of bleed over into two thousands. I think for for a little bit. I don't. I think it takes some time before the two thousands really start making their own their own profile. But no, nostalgia has nothing to do with this. Like I said, this is a because I think even I mean some time had passed before I watched this movie again as an adult and from a kid, and I still still enjoyed it just the same. I had a question though, little bonus question. How did you feel? Because you only see this saw this movie once. How do you feel about the the Christianity tie in? Do you think it was too on the nose? Do you think it was subtle? What do you think? I think a lot of films have Christianity tie ins. And a lot of media literature in general have some kind of religious tie-in in it, even if it's not intended to be so. I didn't ever really get the vibe, even with the resurrection angle to it, that this was trying to be religious, to be honest. I didn't get that vibe at all. Well, I would uh, recommend to look into it and see all the religious pieces put into it. Because, you know, of course, Neo being one, being the Messiah, he dies, comes back, saves them. Morpheus is John the Baptist character in this, you know, to to bring the Messiah in and to spread the word. Trinity, her name, the the Trinity, I forget what it's called, but biblical uh, Trinity being the the Son, the Father, and the Holy the Holy Ghost. The ship's name is also a Christian tie-in. Yeah, and also just the, the Zion reference and everything else. Yeah. Also, I noticed this time around, I may be pushing it, but they say Jesus a lot. Do they? They exclaim Jesus a couple times to where I started noticing it. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, see, I didn't think, I mean, other than obviously, yes, I think a lot of the naming was religious, but I don't feel like it was trying to be overtly religious. I didn't think it was trying to give too much religious message about it took away from what it was yeah no i don't yeah i mean i didn't notice it until somebody pointed it out to me and then of course i noticed it a little bit more at the uh repeated viewings but it is something that's also going to you'll see it will come up in the trilogy i'm interested to see it though bring it up again in the res uh, resurrections one thing i uh didn't get a chance to mention too is when i was talking about favorite characters i love tank was that his name yes i was well, I didn't, when he came back to life and got rid of Cypher, that was a little DX Machina a little bit, I think, to me. But I was so glad he lived because I really enjoyed him as a character. I thought he had, like, you know, just a very fun personality. He had a really sweet smile, <laughs> which is something I pinned out. I don't know. I just enjoyed him. I thought he was... He was fun. I was very happy that, that he survived. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but he is not in the future films. What? None of them? No, so I'm going to go ahead and make sure. But he requested uh, a higher pay. He requested more money for they his character. They didn't give my man more money? <laughs> no, they didn't want to give him more money. And no. so then he left. Actually, I'm not even seeing him in the... The billing cast on IMDb, so they may have pushed them way over. Did they recast them? How did they just get rid of that character? Because there's only like four of them on a ship at this point. Yeah, I guess I don't know. He had to. They did the old, the old Catholic system and put him in another church. 
<laughs> no, reassigned him. <laughs> Never speak uh, of it again. Darn. No, I liked him. That's sad. You know, I liked him too. It's unfortunate. Speaking of cast, I was kind of looking up some of the... I like to always look up who was originally slated to play in certain roles, just to think about what kind of a different movie it would be. So so some of the, the ones that I found that I, I thought was interesting. For Neo, they originally approached Will Smith and also Nick Cage. For Lawrence Fishburne's character, uh, Morpheus. Yes, Morpheus, not, not the Lord Vampire. Uh, Gary Oldman was approached. And I actually do like Gary Oldman, but I think Lawrence Fishburne <clears throat> was the right choice. And then for, for Trinity, they asked Janet Jackson, and she turned it down. I think they said that she actually referenced it in, in one of her later songs for turning it down. But, yeah. So Will Smith for Nick Cage for Neo, Gary Oldman for Morpheus, and Janet Jackson for Trinity. Like, what a different movie we would have gotten. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Obviously, Will Smith is the the biggest one. Everybody talks. That's like the biggest um, would have been cast, especially that he turned down this to do Wild Wild West. Mm. Uh, Nick Cage. I feel like I always read something where Nick Cage was supposed to play somebody else. Because I believe Nick Cage, of course, he was supposed to be Superman. I think I read something recently. He was supposed to be in the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. I think he was supposed to be Green Goblin. He was going to be Green Goblin. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of Nick Cage would-have-beens out there. Yes, I always wonder, like, is it just, does he bomb the audition? Does he not want to do it? Because he does everything. Or, like, do directors love him, but producers hate him? I don't know. There's some kind of secret out there with Nick Cage that I just, I don't understand. I think it's beyond my... My comprehension as a human being. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably some Hollywood dark secret. <laughs> something. Look, we got to offer the role to Nick Cage. Okay, we 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 don't have to cast him. We just have to offer it. Okay, that's the deal. What what, what is it about this deal? Don't ask questions, man. Trust me, <laughs> you don't want to be wrapped up in it. So yeah, I'm not totally disappointed in your rating. I'm I'm glad to see that you enjoyed this film. Uh, obviously, you know, it's a film that I love and I have shown people, you know, I've shown someone else this film before as well. This is a movie that I do talk about to people. Uh, you know, I try to pass the word of the one. So I'm glad to see that. The one. Yes, the one. Which I don't know how they could not figure out that Neo was the one when his name was anagrammed one. <laughs> it should have just been like, bro, your your name is one. Okay. You You are... There's no way around this. Wait, so You're where one did Neo of come from again? I already forget. Where did he come from? Like the, the name? The name Neo, yeah. Did he name himself? He named himself. That okay. was the his hacker name. Oh, he okay. So he had that even when he was in the Matrix, he was Neo. That's right. I was, for some reason I was thinking, like, did they all just get a new name when they were reborn? Is it like a Catholicism thing where you have like your Catholic name? No, no. It was uh that was his hacker name. Okay. Which I also wanted to learn more about that. I think I just needed, like, not a prequel. I don't want a full-grown prequel. But I just wanted to see a little bit more of his life. Like, did he have family? I mean, obviously, it didn't seem like he had much family. He was living on his own. But, like, if you're, like, have a whole entire life in there, like, do you, do you have, like, family trauma? <laughs> 
Like, what's your history? Who's your mom <laughs> in the Matrix? <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder that too, if everybody has their own separate Matrix or if they're intertwined. There's a lot of questions. It kind of goes into that. That one goes further than the rabbit hole. You start to kind of get in like, when you're thinking about the movie Cars, you're like, well, how are the cars born? Like, what are the point of taxi and bus? Well, taxis it's and buses. that. It's just like, if you wanted me to believe that there's a real choice, you got to show me that there's a life worth living in the Matrix. Other than that, that juicy steak. <laughs> I think it's, I, I think that's one of the questions that they left up to the viewer. They kept it general because the one could be anybody and his past life could have been any life. So you, you have to look at your own life and think, man, is that worth stepping out of the, out of the matrix? Cause obviously if they made his life seem like, yeah, I would definitely want to step out of that. Then you would have obviously had chosen the pill to to lead the matrix. Well, I feel like that's kind of what they did. Like I didn't think he really had anything really going for him. I mean, they said that he worked for it, a big, nice company, but you never really saw that. You just kind of saw he just was just kind of mucking along by himself, bad boss. Like they didn't really seem like there was any real reason for him to stay. So I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I know what he's going to choose. There's no reason. And then also, like, when they were going on, I was like, oh, you've been questioning this your whole existence. It was definitely a show don't show instead of tell moment for me. I think in part, like, I would have liked to see a little bit more of some introspection, I think, in the character before he met Morpheus. Maybe we'll get a prequel series. I don't know if I need a prequel series. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little something. Just a little bit more. Not a whole series. (laughs) So for our next tasking, our next mission into the Operation Sewer Screen, we're going to go ahead and we're going to dig a little bit deeper in the film. So deep that we may just strike oil. And there will be blood. Brought to us by Paul Thomas Anderson, which is one of my favorite directors. This is a film that I have pushed off for a while with him. And we'll get more into it during that episode, which will be dropping January third right after the holidays starting the new year bloody will it be bloody will there be blood will, will i don't there know be blood? <laughs> there will be an episode i know that but we'll just see so go ahead and join us next time yep we definitely look forward to starting off the new year for you guys in the meantime you can give us a follow on our social media we're on facebook instagram and twitter you can find us at op silver screen on instagram and twitter that's op silver screen Um, You can find us on Facebook, too, at Operation Silver Screen. All right. Till next time, I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. Bye.